0: Good evening. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 18. We're reading the second part of this psalm this evening, verses 31 through 50. Uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at the first part of this psalm. Uh, Many of the psalms in book one have praised God during conflict, and this one praises the Lord for an end of conflict. David here is nearing the end of his life, and he's reflecting on all that God has done for him, that he has delivered him from all his enemies. And as we read this, some might think, how do we apply this psalm to ourselves? Is the Lord promising to deliver me from all of my enemies in the same way? Well, it depends on what you mean. If you're asking, will God give me a problem-free life? Well, that's not what he did for David at all. And If you're wondering, will God eventually, if I'm faithful, heal all my diseases and deliver me from every trouble, give me a long life like he did for David? Well, the Lord doesn't promise that for each of us. But how do we think about this? Well, remember mainly that David is a king. And as king, he points to the great king, the Lord Jesus. Jesus wins over all his enemies. He crushes the head of the serpent. And so brothers and sisters, if we are in Christ, we are the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We are Jesus' bride, and He will not let another have us. We are Jesus' sheep, and none will get past His rod and staff. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. If you are in Christ, then you share in ultimate, eternal victory over every enemy. So brothers and sisters, as we read the conclusion of this psalm this evening, I hope you're encouraged, I hope you're challenged to place all your trust in the Lord as we read. Uh, would you stand with me for the reading of this word from Psalm 18, beginning in verse 31, hear the word of our great God. Who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of Your salvation and Your right hand supported me and Your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through. So that they were not able to rise, they fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but He did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, two weeks ago, we looked at the first 30 verses in three parts. We looked at the dilemma and the deliverer, uh, looking at those first two verses. We looked at the dramatic deliverance of the Lord, and we looked at the delivered one as he was described there in verses 19 through 30, as we saw this description for David. Well, here uh, we'll see the detailed deliverance that David experienced in verses 31 through Forty-five, And then we'll see the delivered one that is David's doxology as he worships the Lord. And so uh, as we prepare to uh, dive into these verses, let me pray for us. Lord, would you help us uh, to see and savor Christ as we read this word? Lord, we thank you for Jesus, the word made flesh who dwelled among us, who lived the perfect life uh, so that we might have life. He lived, He died, and He rose again and vanquished all of His and our enemies. Lord, would You help us to trust Him? Would You help us to love Him? As we read uh, this evening of King David, would You make us think not only of Him, but of King Jesus? And Lord, help us to know Him. In His name we pray. Amen. Well, if you look with me um, at the to to review a little bit, look back with me at, at uh, Psalm eighteen, the title, and then verse one. You remember in the title here, there's a long title for Psalm eighteen. But remember these words that David wrote this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies. This is the occasion for this psalm, and, and this psalm, by the way, if, if you've forgotten, it's also placed in the narrative of 2 Samuel, near the very end of the book, near the end of David's life. But look at the first and most intense thing that David says to God in verse 1 there. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. John Calvin says about this that love is the principal part of true godliness. There's no better way of serving God than loving Him. And, and so David, for 50 verses, is about to survey all that God has done for him, and he is overwhelmed by the Lord. And so you see in that that David's love for God is not a mere sentiment. It's not this warm feeling that, carry, that he carries around with him. David's love for the Lord is doctrinal and it's experiential. It's based on content. It's not based on what he feels in the given moment. It's based on what the Lord has said and what the Lord has done. Between verses 1 and 2, David gives nine, my, descriptions of God. And they're all emphasizing his strength. My rock, my strength, my fortress. David's expression of love is not based on the great day that he's having. It's his duty. The Lord has done for David. The Lord has revealed himself to him. And so David must return praise to God for all that he has done. But it's not just David's duty we see here, it's also his delight. David loves the Lord for what he has done for him. He's overflowing with gratitude. And so what should we take from this here at the outset? Well, brothers and sisters, do we praise God and do we do it with zeal? When we call to mind something that the Lord has done for us, do we praise Him? Do we thank Him for it? And when we are gripped by some doctrinal truth that we hear in, uh, as we read the Bible or as we hear teaching, do we praise Him? Uh, do we not just file it away as something else now that we know about the Bible? But do we respond? Do we say, thank You, Lord, that this is who You are and this is how You deal with Your people? Brothers and sisters, are you zealous for Him? Remember here that David is nearing death, and yet there's a youthful zeal about David's prayer. David's not settling into his final days. He's bursting with joy. Brothers and sisters, are we alive with praise? For us, Christ saved us from the grave, from the rushing waters of sin and death. Friends, do you have the regular habit of thanking Him for this in prayer? And when I ask are we zealous, I'm not saying are we foolish, are we over the top, are we kind of losing our minds, are we we silly about our praise for the Lord? No, the Bible warns us against having zeal without knowledge. But knowledge doesn't erase our zeal. We're not very smart stoics. No, knowledge establishes our zeal. Knowledge of the Lord leads us to praise Him. If if as we think about these things, you find in your heart, no, I, I have not known zeal for the Lord in quite a while, then what should you do? Well, go to the Lord. Ask Him to return to you the joy of your salvation. Go to the Word. Read of what the Lord has done for you, who He is and what He has promised to you. Go to Him in prayer. Ask the Lord to grip you, to teach you, to plant His truth deep in your mind so that it goes all the way down to your heart. Learn from David's zeal when he was full of years. And to the young who are here, remember, are you zealous for the right things? Are you finding in yourself perhaps that your zeal for the Lord is low, but your zeal for the things of the world are high? If you find this in yourself, ask the Lord to change that for you. Repent. Uh, Ask the Lord that He would make the sinful pleasures of this world appear to you how they really are. That you would see them as foolish and that you would even see them as boring. That you would be bored by them in the face of the greatness of Christ. Compared to His glory, that you would find Him joyful over everything else that the world has to offer. Friends, this is how David sees the Lord. There is nothing compared to him. Uh, And this is where he goes in verse 31. If you'd look there with me, Uh, David describes God as, uh, as uh, he says, who is God, but the Lord and who is a rock except our God, the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. Now David is about to go into a description of specific ways in which the Lord equipped him, helped him through his difficulties in life. You might remember two weeks ago that David also gave a long description of his deliverance. In verses 3 through 19, he used this apocalyptic language, this uh, language that we see uh, in, in many ways describing the Exodus and other miraculous works of God David used this to describe the way that God had delivered him. So he used such description as the earth reeled and rocked and quaked. The Lord bowed the heavens and came down, and he rode on a cherubim and flew to deliver him. You get the picture. It's very dramatic the way that David described this. The story of David's life, if you read in First and Second Samuel, and then right at the beginning of 1 Kings, it doesn't present David's deliverance that way, but David saw his deliverance in terms of the exodus and these other great redemptive works of the past because it was the same God powerfully delivering him. But I think if someone heard what David, how David described his deliverance in verses 3 through 19, someone might say that's really wonderful and it's exciting and amazing, but I wonder practically what did the Lord do for you? What did it look like in the moment that the Lord cared for you? Well, Verses 31 through 45 are the answer to that question. David describes very specifically his military victories and the kinds of things that the Lord did for him. And I think the focus here is mainly on the nations that warred against David and Israel. So you think of the Philistines throughout 1 and 2 Samuel. Uh, the Ammonites, the, the Assyrians uh, the, the also warred against David. And I think those are probably in view more so here than the internal threats that he faced against Saul and against Absalom. Uh, but but the, this is what he details here. But before we get into those details, David introduces this section with that wonderful refrain of his song, that the Lord is his rock. I just read that section for you. The fact that God is his rock, it appears in this psalm uh, several times, twice in verse 2, once in verse 31, and then again in verse 46. It's the the refrain, it's the chorus of this song. and He's asking this question, who is a rock except our God? Who else could have done this for me? There is no other stability. There is no other foundation. There's no fortress. There's no place of protection like God. He's saying that all other idols are useless. Man is prone to fail. God alone can save. But this is interesting. The way that the Lord has been a shelter for David, the way that He's been a refuge for him, is not so that David can stay hiding from the world. The Lord shelters David in such a way so that he is equipped to go out into the world and to faithfully serve the Lord. And, And so these following verses show how God equipped David specifically for David's calling for his military conflict that he was going to face. And in verse 32, David gives this summary statement, I think, for the two aspects of the ways that God provided for him. God provided for him physically, and God provided for him spiritually. You see in verse 32, he provided for him physically. He equipped me with strength. And he provided for him spiritually. You made my way blameless. So David praises God that he he uh, preserved him physically. God didn't just stop the armies. He didn't just, the armies that were coming against David and Israel, he didn't just throw them into confusion, which the Lord can do and did do in the book of Judges. God gave David skill. and And we know of David's skill with a sling against Goliath. You remember that story well. Uh, but but here we hear of David's skill with a sword and bow, and he gives God all the credit for this, for training him in these ways. So God took care of David physically, but he also took care of him spiritually. David said that God made his way blameless. And we already talked about uh, what this means. David is not saying that he's perfectly sinless. Uh, he means that he's innocent of the slander and the false accusations that people like Saul and Absalom were bringing against him. David indeed had sin, but he was innocent of what these wicked men publicly accused him of. And so as as you move through verses 32 through 45, you see God taking care of David physically and spiritually. And I won't go through all of these verses. I, I just want to talk about them in three very general ways. Three things that you see David describing in verses 32 through 45. God gave David safety, Strength and success. Those three things are what David really marvels over that God gave to him. Against all odds, God gave David three things safety, strength, and success. Let's think about the safety that God gave to David. Uh, in verse 33, he praises God for setting him on the heights in the secure location. In verse 35, he said that God shields him. And in verse 36, he praises God for a wide place where his feet wouldn't slip. You imagine this moment of peace after having to run, after having to be agile like a deer uh, climbing on the sides of the rocks of a mountain and he finally makes it, instead of being on this razor edge, he's now in a broad place, in a safe place where he can finally breathe. David's reflecting on the fact that the Lord would deliver him over and over again. Uh, He would deliver him safety. And so... How how do we apply something like this, brothers and sisters? Does the Lord give us safety? Well, remember that in times of difficulty, you need to rest. You need relief from the moments of difficulty. And it can be that that's something that can be found even while difficulty surrounds, uh, even while threats uh, and, and trials are around you. And you ask, how can that be? Well, David found it. And David found it by going to the Lord for rest. Do, do you ever think, I'm too busy to pray? I'm too troubled to read my Bible. I'm too busy to sleep. There's too much stress going on for me to come to church on the Lord's day. What do we find in Psalm 23? The shepherd leads me beside still waters. What does he do there? He restores. My soul. In the midst of trial, we need something deeper than even temporary relief from our suffering. We need the Lord to come and meet us in our time of need. And so, brothers and sisters, certainly pray for strength to endure, but also pray for the gift of rest. Psalm 127 says, He gives to His beloved sleep. Pray for rest, but also plan for rest. How are are you doing, friends, in setting parts of the day apart for worshiping the Lord, for praying, uh, for reading the Scriptures? Do you set the Lord's Day aside? Do you guard it to be a day where you can come and be refreshed with your brothers and sisters by the Word, by the prayers, by the sacraments, and in the fellowship of the saints? Pray for rest and plan to come to the Lord Meet him in his word and in prayer. He's promised to meet you there, brothers and sisters. Do not neglect the rest that the Lord gives you. Well, so we see safety. We also see that the Lord gives David strength. You see this in verse 33. David praises God for giving him speed. In verse 34, David's hands are trained. He can bend a a bronze bow. It's hard to say, but I would imagine it's harder to do. In verse 35, God's right hand supports him. He upholds him. And in verse 39, David says that God equipped him for battle so that those who rise up against David sink under him like the wicked in Noah's flood or like the Egyptians sank down in the Red Sea. How do we think about this strength that David uh, received from the Lord? And can we receive similar strength from the Lord. Well, notice here that David gives God all the credit for the strength that he's received. And and I think David, there's a sense in which David uh, praises God for the spiritual strength that he receives, but he's also very practically thanking God that his body held up strong during this time of great trial. Some of the youth here are competitive athletes. Some of you here are very active. Do you recognize that those abilities, those very practical abilities that you may take for granted day to day, are gifts from God? Do you praise the Lord for the gifts that He has given you of health and strength when you have them? Do you praise Him by, one, using those gifts, and two, by praying and by recognizing that these are, in fact, gifts from the Lord? Some of you, when you hear about the strength that David praises God for, you're you're thinking about the frustration of injury or the loss of strength due to pain or illness. Well, notice that David is saying this and praising the Lord when he is in his old age. Closer and closer to death. 1 Kings 1 tells us that David in his old age couldn't get warm, no matter how much they covered him. Remember other saints that scriptures speak of that Jacob, once strong enough to strive throughout the night, walked with a limp through the rest of his life. Paul had a thorn in his flesh that troubled him. And no doubt the injuries that he sustained from being beaten until he was near death uh, troubled him through his life. But remember that Paul's joy in suffering uh, was, was not due to him ignoring his suffering. Uh, He prayed to the Lord to, to heal him of his pain, and yet he was able to find refuge, to find spiritual strength, endurance in the Lord. See here that David is praising the Lord in such a way that as he thinks about his strength, he's not stuck in the glory days. He's not wishing he could go back to his 20s or his 30s. He's thanking the Lord that He provided for him what he needed in the time that he had and it was a great gift to him. But that what has endured, what has sustained him is his vibrant relationship with the Lord. Here we see a right theology of the body. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And nonetheless, blessed be the name of the Lord. Let us model what David is doing, the way that David is praying as we think about the gifts that the Lord has given to us physically. Well, third, as we thought about safety, as we thought about strength, David praises the Lord for success. Success militarily over his enemies. Verses 37 and 38, we see David pursued his enemies and he overtook them. He didn't turn back until the job was finished. He, The language here is graphic. He thrust them through with the sword and they fell at his feet. That's an intense description, but David is not gloating, and he's not rejoicing in the fact that he put some to death. But imagine for a minute why David would be speaking this way. Imagine the the terrible fear that David might be struck with being sword to sword against another person who desperately wants to kill him. And imagine the relief that David must feel when that foe who was trying to destroy him one moment is then vanquished and will not rise again. Uh, David is expressing here the relief of those terrible moments being over and acknowledging that it's ultimately the Lord who delivered him. In in verses 40-42, through we see a full picture of defeat. uh, That the Lord helped David to completely conquer over his worst enemies. And we see in verses 40 through 42, it's a a striking image. It says that some cried out to the Lord, but it was too late. They cried out to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Now, what does this mean? Because this, this may sound troubling to us initially. Are there some who would repent that the Lord just won't hear them, even if they genuinely repent? Well, It's not saying here that the Lord would not save if they genuinely repented. Of course, that would acknowledge that the Lord is doing a work in their heart first. But what David is pointing out here is that it was at least too late to save them from the consequence of their rebellion against the Lord's anointed king. Uh, They had gone so far against the Lord and against His anointed that it was time for their judgment. Think about this from this perspective. What a relief these victories must have been for the people of Israel, for David as he led them and, and fought against these terrible enemies that wanted to see all the people of Israel, men, women, and children, destroyed. And, and, and as we think about this, notice it's very interesting in verse 39 and in verse 42, this under-the-foot language in the psalm. In verse 39 uh, it's you, you see that reversal of those who rose up against David sank under him. And then in verse 42, it, it talks about him beating his enemies and making them as fine as dust. Now the language of both of these descriptions, I think, remind us of Genesis 3, in verse 15, and the snake crusher, the one who would destroy the serpent, the one who stands above him with his foot over his head. David the king is ultimately pointing to the one who would stand over the serpent, which is Christ. And and, and this is our application from this point, my friends, that in Christ, Christians are victorious over the world, the flesh and the devil. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Christ is our victor. And He is the one who equips us to live for Him. Romans tells us that Christians are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. The the victory that we have in Christ is greater than any of the military victories that David describes. because And it is more sure than any earthly warrior, uh, in, in that, in any victory that any earthly warrior could accomplish. Christ, uh, what does Psalm 110 tell us? Christ has made His enemies His footstool. And He will return one day to make that final. And so what have we seen in these verses? David uh, was uh, David received from God safety and strength and success. And I think in this passage there, we're reminded that Christ is our eternal safety and strength and that He gives us success. He gives us eternal victory. There's there's one thing uh, in this passage before we move on from it that I want to point out for you, and it's back in verse 35. It's in the third part of that verse. It's It's a surprising thing that David says in some ways. Uh, it's, It's a brief phrase, your gentleness made me great. Maybe this is surprising to hear because we might expect David to say something like God's power made me great. God's justice made me great as I was the avenger over these foes. But David says that it is God's gentleness that made him great. So I take this to mean that God's gentleness toward David is ultimately what made him great. Another way of saying this is that the only reason that David could stand, the only reason that David received safety and strength and success, is because God was gentle toward him. God was gracious. He was patient with David. God was gentle toward him. He did not treat him as his sins deserved. My Friends, is this the way you think? God is gentle toward me. And that is the only reason that I am here. Anything that I could praise Him for giving me has not been because of my good works, because of how good looking I am, because of how smart I am, because of how funny I am, because of how successful I am. The only reason that I have anything that I have is because God has been gentle with me. I deserve the harshness of God. I deserve his condemnation because of my sin. But instead, he has been gentle with his children. Psalm 130 says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you is forgiveness. Therefore, you may be feared. Well, David concludes the section in verses 43 through 45. And he concludes the statement of these military victories. And we find out in these verses that some of the defeated nations, they weren't destroyed entirely, but some of them came to serve David. Verse 44 says that they came cringing to me. And this is a description of unwilling obedience. They see that David is stronger than they are, that the Lord is with him. And so they come to him, uh, ultimately not wanting to, but seeing that here is uh, safety. In verse 45, it says they lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. This means that they despaired of their own strength. And the significance of being foreigners here is is not about ethnicity chiefly, it's about faith. It's about uh, anyone from any nation could have become an Israelite, could have come uh, and bowed the knee to the Lord and become a part of the people of Israel. These are those who would not ultimately bow the knee To the Lord. They are coming uh, as captives, uh, and and they're despairing of their own strength uh, and and submitting themselves to uh, the Lord's anointed David. Now, this points to Jesus as well. This is a Christ full psalm, you see. This points to Jesus, who, when he returns, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Those of us who are in Christ will rejoice. That our King has come. And those who are enemies of Christ must confess, even though he has not been their Lord, they must confess that He is the He in fact is God, that He is who He said He was. As much as they hate it, they know and they have no other choice but to confess that Jesus is the Christ. Well, these verses move us into the final doxology, David's doxology uh, here, and we'll conclude. Uh, here by looking at this section briefly. But David, after all of this, uh, after 45 verses, David wants the whole world to know how great this God is. Now, notice how interesting this is because after David describing how these nations came cringing to him, you would think this would be a perfect moment for David to start beating his chest. Is he going to have the mentality of Alexander the Great, that he's going to go and conquer every nation of the earth? No, what does David want? David doesn't want to be the king of the universe. David is following the Lord. He wants the Lord to be glorified. He wants the Lord to be lifted up. And he wants all people to know that God the Lord Yahweh is king. And this is what we see in verses 46 through 50. See here David's doxology. Look in verse 46, the Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. God lives. What a wonderful confession that is. Uh, Even as David uh, is near death and and considering uh, the brevity of his own life, thinking perhaps about the fact that all human rulers die, and and how often have uh, have these words been said uh, throughout the centuries? The old king is dead. Long live the king. Uh, there There is no transition like that for the Lord. The Lord lives forever and ever, and therefore, we can hope in Him. It's for this reason that David can really find Him, His rock and His refuge, because the Lord will not die. The Lord will not fail. The Lord will not be defeated. And so he can be David's refuge forever. He can be our refuge forever. And we see in verse 47 through 48 that God gave David vengeance. Here we see that God avenged David by finally bringing Saul and Absalom's wickedness to an end. And David knew that God was his avenger and that he was not supposed to take revenge into his own hands. This is why David for so long Uh, would not put Saul to death. He waited for the Lord to overthrow Saul so that he could be king. Uh, And so David is rejoicing that God is his avenger. Those who had done him wrong, the the Lord visited that justice on them. But he's also recognizing here that by holding the office as king, David was one who was called to wield the sword, to protect his people, uh, to, uh, to administer justice for the lord and he praises god that he strengthened him for that work again david's not joyous about death the death of another person his joy is in god's deliverance in god's justice and that's what he looks to and and that brings us to these final two verses and and these are really glorious verses friends look with me at verse 49 for this all of this that he said i will praise you o lord among the nations and sing to your name. David will praise God among all those nations. He will boast in God and not in his own strength. Again, he wants to be faithful to the Lord. That's why he's king. David didn't have long ambitions of being king. He was saying yes to what God told him to do. And now it's not that he wants his fame to extend to the nations. He wants the Lord's fame to extend. And ultimately, the great King Jesus. Now by the Holy Spirit, David here speaks more than he himself probably knew in that moment because Paul is going to quote these words in the New Testament. In Romans 15, he's going to use this verse to show that salvation is not for the Jews only, but for the Gentiles, for the nations as well. Paul says in Romans 15, this is in verse 8, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, and he quotes our psalm, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Now lest you think that Paul is taking liberties there by saying Gentiles instead of nations, the word Gentiles just means nations. Paul... Is seeing that David's hope was that the world would praise the Lord, and that this was expressed in his own day as the gospel was going forward not just to the Jews but to the Gentiles as well. the people of the world the people the world over were beginning to praise and to call on the Lord uh, now David uh, speaking of him saying more than he realizes this last verse verse fifty, is filled with messianic language pointing to Christ. In verse 50, look with me. Great salvation He brings to His King and shows steadfast love to His anointed, to David and His offspring forever. So the three parts of this verse, that salvation belongs to His King, that that, that He brings salvation to His King, that God shows steadfast love to His anointed, and God shows steadfast love to David and His offspring, These are incredible. Look look at the first part of that verse that salvation he brings to his king. God saved David from all these near-death experiences throughout his life. But King Jesus rose victorious from the grave. And in that, he accomplished salvation for all the elect. The salvation that, that God brought to King Jesus, King Jesus brings to us his people who are united with him. Secondly there, in in, in the second part of verse 50, God shows steadfast love to His anointed. Now David is God's anointed. God sent Samuel to anoint David with oil, which symbolized the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the setting apart of David for this special task of being king. And then God repeatedly showed His love for David throughout his life. The Hebrew word for anointed is Messiah. Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one set apart to be the Savior of sinners, the one the Holy Spirit descended upon at his baptism. Jesus saved not only himself, but all who would trust in him. To be anointed is to be set apart. To be set apart for what? David was set apart to be king. Jesus was set apart to save his people from their sins. And and we're reminded here at the very end of verse 50 that God shows steadfast love to David and to his offspring. Here, David is clinging to the promise that God made to him in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that a king from David's line would always sit on the throne forever. David is clinging to those promises here at the end of this psalm and perhaps there at the end of his life, which by the way, is what we do as Christians. We cling to God's promises for our very life because they are our very life. The Lord Himself is our very life. And here, we have an allusion to the garden, to the offspring, the offspring of the woman who one day would come and bruise the serpent's head even as the serpent would bruise his heel. And Paul in Galatians 3.16 said that the offspring that the the covenant mentions is all about one offspring in particular, the Lord Jesus Christ, the great King who was prophesied, who David was waiting for, who David looked for, who David points us to in this psalm. And, And so what do we say here at the end? Well, David sings of his deliverance. And he points us all to trust in God who delivers. And so David would have us sing and pray and not give up trusting in God. And and we do this uh, ultimately trusting in the greater king, the king greater than David, the one that David hoped in, the descendant who would be David's Lord, Jesus. And so brothers and sisters, do you trust him? Are you looking to him for all your deliverance. Well, let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our great Savior, that you are the King who rules over all. Oh, Lord, would you help us to lay aside every weight, every sin that uh, would hold us back, that would entangle us. Help us to see, O oh, Lord Jesus, that you are the great deliverer of your people that you give us safety, strength, and success throughout our lives. Uh, If we look to you, Lord, we thank you for the spiritual strength that you give us, uh, the spiritual safety uh, by being our refuge, our rock, our deliverer. And we thank you for the victory that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh God, our Father, help us to trust in our Lord Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us as we continue to worship You in Jesus' name, amen.